Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Facebook Live interview with Ignatius Press with one of our authors. Today, my name is Paul Sins. I'm with Ignatius Press. Today, we're joined by Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, a permanent uh, deacon from the Archdiocese of Portland. Uh, Deacon Harold, thanks for being with us. Yeah, great to be with you. Thank you, Paul. So uh, our viewers might know Deacon Harold as the dynamic deacon. Uh, He's a a very sought-after speaker in the church today travels all over the world, uh, all over the country, all over the world. He is, uh, I'm sure you'll see in our conversation today, he's a, a, a passionate, powerful speaker. Um, and uh, he's got a, a no-nonsense approach to living and proclaiming the faith. Uh, he travels all over. Uh, he, he's got, his areas of expertise include uh, marriage and family life, discerning the will of God, sacraments, evangelization, prayer, and many others, including male spirituality, which is what we'll be talking about today. Deacon Harold is the, uh, is the author of, of several books now, but we'll be talking about Behold the Man, A Catholic Vision of Male Spirituality, which is published by Ignatius Press. He's also the host of, um, uh, or uh, co-host of the EWTN radio program, Morning Glory, as well as the weekly broadcast, Living Stones on Mater Dei Radio, and the Sons of Thunder podcast for World of Blades. You've seen him in um, video series like Chosen and um, also all sorts of others. So um, let's see what's kind of a wonderful conversation we can have with him today. All right. And if anybody has any questions, you can pop them in the, in the comments below and we'll see if we can get to them. But first, let's just jump right into it. So uh, can you tell us, how did this book come about? I mean, I know this is your... This is sort of a right in your wheelhouse, male spirituality. So how did you get from point A, whatever that was, to the book? So um, the backstory is uh, when I was in graduate school um, uh, studying theology, Father Mitch Pacwa was one of my professors back at that time. This was before he was uh, on EWTN full time. Uh, He was teaching at the University of Dallas. And um, I'd written a paper in graduate school on male spirituality. And again, just at that time, it was just a paper, just handed in, just like, you know, um, didn't really think much about it. Yeah. And then fast forward later, after I was ordained, um, I was doing a, uh, a radio show for our Catholic radio station in Portland, Modern Day Radio, a little 30 minute pre-taped show called um, Faith and Life. And so um, on one of the shows, I had mentioned male spirituality, you know, just, again, mm-hmm. not going into depth or detail. Sure. Uh, and then um, Jerry Usher, who used to be the host of Catholic Answers Live, yeah. uh, came to the station to raise money. He heard my show and asked me to be on Catholic Answers Live, um, talk about male spirituality. So I said, yeah. well, I, I, who am I? I'm just some guy from Jersey, man. Well, might have been yeah. on some national show. But anyway, I did it. And then uh, I didn't know how it worked back then. Well, EWTN uh, aired the radio program. Father Mitch heard it. And he, he called me to, be, to invite me to be on uh, EWTN Live to talk about male spirituality. <laughs> and so out of that came the television series with EWTN. And then fast forward uh, several years down the road, um, I had left my job uh, at, the, at the director of public safety at the University of Portland to speak and to write full time 
Mark Brumley, who was one of my adjunct professors in graduate school, calls me about doing a book for Ignatius Press. I said, well, I have time now because I left my yeah. job. So, And so when we were kicking around ideas, the one that floated to the top was a book on uh, the theology of male spirituality. Because there have been books for men prior to my book, um, but it focused on a specific topic like fatherhood or virtue or pornography or, you know, uh, yeah. vocational aspect of men's life. So I thought, you know, what I hadn't seen a book, not even a document by a pope or anything at that time, that specifically focused on what it means to be an authentically Catholic man. Now, interestingly, there was uh, documents for women. You know, uh, yeah. John, St. Yeah. John Paul II wrote Mulieri's Dignitatem on the Dignity yeah. of Women back in 1988. He also wrote Letter to Women. You know, he'd written on the Blessed yeah. Virgin Mary. <laughs> but I said, hey, where's the stuff for the guys? And so what I did was I took um, John. I was a, a huge, huge fan of John Paul II. That was my yeah. man. Right? Right. So yeah. I, I decided to take his anthropology, his way of approaching uh, humanity and human existence, and to apply his Christian anthropology to a male spirituality. And so uh, that's kind of the hermeneutic. Uh, or the interpretive key that underlines the book. You see that that kind of theme woven through every uh, chapter of the book, like a piece of fabric. Yeah. Is is the, is this underlying um, spirituality of manhood? And so uh, I took and so basically I took the outline for the television series, uh, which was about fifty pages, and turned it into a three hundred page book. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. And I I I, uh, I remember. Uh, I think pretty shortly after John Paul II died, that, that you you wrote something called Johannes Paulus Magnus. Yes, because of, he was just such an influence on you. Um, I, I'm curious. I, I didn't mention in your biography um, introduction, uh, but you spent some time um, with the Benedictines in New Jersey. And um, uh, I mean, you went to high school, right? And they were they were um, they ran the high school, and then you spent some time with them there. Do you think Do you think that time Formed your um, formed your sense of male spirituality and, and the theology of it. Yeah, without without a doubt. I mean, I grew up. Um, you know, I'm, we're immigrants to this country from Barbados. When we came to this country, my father did not come with us. It wasn't mm-hmm. until uh, a year or so later that my father joined our family here in the United States from Barbados. Yeah. And so, um, you know, my father basically loved three things. I talk about in the book. He he loves uh, he loved womanizing. Mm-hmm. alcohol and cigarettes yeah and um that caused a very tumultuous rela- relationship between him and my mother they eventually got divorced you yeah. know and my father was not the ideal father at all and so that experience of um going to saint benedict's prep in newark um and being uh and, and part of that uh, monastic uh vocations program it was kind of come and see program back then yeah. and i always felt that um Ever since I was 13 or so, that I might have a vocation, which I thought was to the priesthood. But then when I got to uh, to St. Benedict's and, and with the monks there, I started living in and out of the monastery, which I did for all four years of high school. And then I went to college and worked for a year and then, and then joined yeah. the monastery. And I thought I was going to be there forever, you know, <laughs> but yeah. God, I thought I thought it was a great plan, but it wasn't God's plan. Right? Yeah, right. So my mom got sick and almost died. And I left uh, the monastery to take care of her. And when I was out, I met my wife and, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from there. But yeah, but but that um, 
the, but what I received during my, my brief time with the Benedictines, though, was a spiritual grounding because God knew that, I mean, did, really didn't have a, a father to speak of, really, uh, in my life. And so there were other mm -hmm. men, uh, the monks, my wrestling coach, you know, several of my teachers. I was also in Boy Scouts at the time. And so these the other men didn't take the place of my father, but gave me a glimpse as to what authentic male spirituality looked like. And yeah. so that experience combined with the spiritual grounding, the love for prayer, the love for silence and adoration, the love for the office, the divine office, liturgy of the hours, yeah. all of that was fostered in monastic life. And I draw from that experience every single day as a husband and father, and but also as a deacon serving in the church. Yeah, great. That's great. Um, you mentioned that you said authentic male spirituality, and that's something that I was hoping you kind of unpack for us because when people see the subtitle of the book, you know, about male spirituality, what, what about it makes it uniquely male or, or uniquely for men? You know, what, what, what is it that sets it apart? Well, you know, um, Paul, when I was researching uh, the book, you know, I found there were plenty of books in the Protestant world for men, hmm. you know, like here's what it means to be a manly man. I thought it was great, but I didn't see anything yeah. rooted in the sacramental life in the church. You know, I didn't see anything specifically yeah. Catholic. And so in, in, in thinking about all of this, I go back to uh, Genesis uh, chapter one, like verse, verse 26, 27, 28, where he says we're made in the image and likeness of God. Well, obviously, we're not made in the physical image likeness of God because God has no body, right? He's pure yeah, spirit. Right. But yet it says male and female, he created them. Now, we're, we're obviously, we're, we're created equally in dignity before God as men and women, but we're not the same. Equality does not mean sameness. That's one of the lies that the culture is, per, is, per, uh, per, um, is perpetuating today, that in order to be equal, you have to be the same. Right. which is a lie. And so the, the sameness or what, what St. John Paul talk called the original solitude uh, with man, and the word there, by the way, in Hebrew is Adam, that doesn't mean male. It, it has a, Adam has a sense of the, uh, humanity in its fullness. So man knows he's superior to all the other creatures because God put him in charge. Um, man also knows that he's self-conscious and self-aware. He can know himself. He can also know God. But what's the problem? He has nobody to share it with. Because God himself exists as a family, as a community of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So man by himself makes no sense. And so the woman comes into the picture. She compliments him because she also shares those same characteristics of original solitude. Um, she, she is uh, superior to all the other creatures. She's self-conscious and aware. And she can know God, but now they can know God together as a family. Yeah. But so so that is what they have in common. But what are the differences, though, besides just the physical differences? And here's something I, I explore in the book. So um, when we talk about God uh, as Catholics, I mean, God exists as a trinity. And as St. Augustine said, the only way we can ever know uh, God is to be God. Right. So, so as human beings, we can say things about God. We can come to know things about God, but we can yeah. never exhaust fully uh, the reality of who God is. So we can only often speak about God by analogy. And so yeah. that's what I do in the book. So I talk about, we, we talk about God's inner life. And the catechism talks about uh, this term called circumcession, all right? Or in the, in the Eastern church, it's called divine perichoresis. It's the mm -hmm. idea of God within himself. So when Jesus says in, John, in John's gospel, the father and I are one, he doesn't mean they're the same. 
right? They, they have this, they share the one divine nature, but they're different persons. So this idea of circumcision looks at how is the Father and the Holy Spirit in Jesus? How is the Holy Spirit uh, giving love and life back to the Father and the Son? How is the Son and the Holy Spirit contained in the Father? That, that interrelationship of God within himself. Um, it, 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 Hebrews would call it God's heart, right? God's inner life. And I think when God created a woman, God pulled from his heart. He pulled from his inner life when he created her. And if you look at women, uh, you see, for example, that they're much more interior. They're much more in touch with their feelings and emotions. Their reproductive organs, for example, are on the inside. They speak three times as many words per day as men do. You know, and so and so there's a beautiful complementary there. So he pulled from God's inner life. But then the catechism also talks about what's called the oikoinomia or the economy of salvation. So how does God enter into his reality in order to bring salvation? And that's, in, in a sense, the outer life of God. And so when God put man in the garden, it says to till and to keep it. That's abad and shamar in Hebrew literally means to serve, protect and defend. So he was giving man, uh, his, his mission, his calling, his vocation to right. serve, protect, and defend everything that's being entrusted to him. So we have the beautiful outer life of God uh, represented uh, by the, the male and then the beautiful inner life of God represented by the female that, that again, that complement each other uh, and that support yeah. each other, but they're not the same. Yeah, and that's beautiful. You can see that, you can see that design in, in that very much. Now, with everything going on in our world today, and I don't just mean right now, but over the last, you know, 50, 100 years or more, do you think that, do you think that this is at all the result of not just the broader culture's abandonment of God, but that, how do I phrase this? Do you think that there is maybe some sort of a solution in men reclaiming that authentic male spirituality. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of things like, like fathers, you know, authentic fatherhood in fixing, fixing things in our culture or husbands doing what they should be doing or just men being men in our, in our society. Do you think that reclaiming that male spirituality and having that grounding would be some sort of a solution? Yeah, I absolutely think so. Um, in, in the book, uh, I do trace some of the, uh, what I believe to be the history of how we got to this point, um, as, as men kind of being effeminized within our culture, I look mm -hmm. at it with a broad spectrum approach. So there are many reasons. There's not just one reason, there's a number of reasons proliferated over time as to where we, where we got to this point as men. So basically, uh, in a sense, we become effeminized. We've, we've lost this sense of what it means to be an authentically Catholic man and capitulated basically to the culture. And so what we need to do is revive this male spirituality by remembering that our spirituality is lived from the cross, right? Uh, Paul says, I preach Christ and Christ crucified. I want to know nothing, Paul says, except the cross of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then in Galatians, he, he says, uh, you know, I, it's no longer I who live, but Christ. Who, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we need to see ourselves as living our spirituality from the cross of Jesus Christ. So when you look at the cross, we need to see ourselves on that cross as men. That beautiful sacrificial gift of self, the breaking open, 
Just as Christ broke himself open and poured himself out for us in love, we need to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out in love and sacrifice for our families, for the church, if you're a priest, and then for the culture, if you're a man who's who's single. You know, yeah. so we need to be fathers. Every man is a spiritual father. And so if we want to reclaim uh, this culture, because look at what's happening. I mean, not just with the COVID-19, but you look at the, you know, the, the so-called, so-called redefinition of marriage and the recent Supreme Court decision trying, in a sense, to redefine human sexuality. Um, yeah. You know, we're just being inundated with all this moral, moral relativism, uh, subjective individualism, where I am the center of all meaning and existence. We see uh, euthanasia now, not just for elderly and sick people, but now we're seeing it for children. I'm thinking of Charlie Gard and Alfie Evans, two babies in uh, England, where, the, where the, the state decided those children should die, even when other countries granted them citizenship uh, to the parents to bring the children out of England so they can find medical interventions elsewhere. The church, the 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 the, the, cult, the England, the state said no. We decide those children are going to die, so they're going to die. And, and we should we as men should say no. We should be saying no more. You know, it stops here. It stops with me. You know, and and it all starts with being a good husband and father at home. And you look in the black community, for example, over seventy percent of black children are born out of wedlock. Hmm. Um, you know, not over ninety percent of the men who are in prison don't have uh, uh, the, the black men that are in prison didn't have fathers present in the home, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we, we need to rediscover a, a deeper understanding of what it means by authentically spiritual man, and especially fathers, the longest chapter in the book is the chapter on fatherhood, you know? Yeah. I, and I also, talk about not just from a married men's perspective, but I also talk about it from a, a priesthood perspective too. So this is not as, the book is not just for married men, it's for all men, no matter right. what state you might find yourself in. Right. That's right. And uh, as you say, um, the role of men to serve, protect, and defend goes kind of across the board. This, this is not just saying, if you're a husband and father, serve, protect, and defend your wife and children. Or if you are a priest, do so for your parish community. This is, this is, this is the responsibility of men for the world. That's the responsibility we were given. Um, I'm reminded of a quote from John Paul II, where he said, I'll have to paraphrase it here, but something to the effect of, God has given as the responsibility of every man upholding the dignity of every woman. You know, as, a, as one example, that's, that's part of it. And going off of that, uh, the, the chapter in the book about uh, the theology of the body seems particularly relevant uh, to, to today's culture um, in so many ways. You know, the, the, the family and authentic expressions of sexuality as God intended are under attack. Well, you, you can talk about that a minute ago. So in that context, in what ways can reclaiming authentic male spirituality and, and frankly, teaching it to, to men combat a lot of these evils that we face of pornography, sex trafficking, abortion, the redefinition, redefinition of marriage and, and everything. What, what role can, can men play in that if they've got this grounding in male spirituality? 
Well, one thing about men is that we're, we're very physical, right? We're very, very bodily kinds of creatures. And, yeah. and so we respond um, much differently than women to external stimuli. So when we see images of women that are beautiful, you know, that, that does something to us as men, you yeah. know? And so um, what Satan has done, see, look, pleasure is not a bad thing. You know, the church is not, is not down on, on things that are pleasurable at all. Why? Because at a very base, at a very ephemeral level, pleasure is supposed to raise our minds and our hearts to God. So when we see something pleasurable, like a beautiful sunset, or we eat something pleasurable, like a, like a great steak or something like that, ultimately that pleasure that we experience is supposed to be directed to our ultimate end, our ultimate purpose, which is life with God forever. Right? And so there are many ways that God gives us to get to get us there. And pleasure is just one thing at a very base level. But here's what's happened. Pleasure is a means to an ultimate end. What Satan has done, he's taken pleasure out of, out of its proper context of being a yeah. means to an end. And he's held it up in the culture. He says, now pleasure is an end in itself. Pleasure is now your God. You know, and so now we worship at the altar of, of, of pleasure. So that's what, so pornography, which is misdirected, uh, human trafficking, um, yeah. all of these things that are all interrelated. It's a very distorted and warped sense of who we are. Um, uh, Paul says our, uh, in First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit that we have within us from God. You know, uh, in Genesis two, says, uh, eight it says God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Nishmak ruach kaim in Hebrew which is beautiful phrasing for God literally taking the breath of his divine life and pouring that life into us. So our bodies reflect our person. Our bodies show forth our relationship with God. And But we've, we've gotten so far away, there's a disconnect between the, the, the body and the everyday lived experience. And we've allowed this culture with this, with this sensuality to kind of invade that space that belongs to God. And we've capitulated and gave ourselves over to the culture of pleasure. So what I try to do in this book is try to redirect men and reorient them back to a, a sacrificial love, a love that always look at not what's best for the self, what's always best for the other. You know, right. uh, and once, once we get back to that proper understanding, then we can see women in their proper context as being a, a beautiful um, gifts from God. Um, that are not to be used and exploited for our benefit, but protected and defended so they can truly become the woman who God created and calls each one of them to be. And for example, um, when, um, when uh, I was at the University of Portland, uh, as you were there, Paul, because you were a student yeah. when I worked there, you know, right. I went, to, um, we got a call from a neighbor about a, a loud party complaint. So I went to the house with my officers and we're kind of, you know, separating our students from the people who lived in town. And um, a, a young lady ran up to me and said that her roommate was missing. She couldn't find a roommate. She's trying to call her. She came to the party with her. Now she can't find her. And so we're in the process of, okay, where do you live? You know, that kind of thing. And then a young man at that walked over to me and said, oh, she's home. She's safe. I'm like, excuse me, how would you know that? And then he told me, he said he was standing there you know, um, drinking his beer. And he saw this woman, this young lady who was obviously very intoxicated, but he saw a guy walk over to her, talk to her for a few minutes. And then he took her and, and, and she was stumbling with him into another room and he closed the door. Now, this young man saw this and he said to himself, that could be my sister. Hmm. 
And so instead of standing there, like, like the rest of the men did, did nothing, he went into the room. He said to the young lady, excuse me, uh, can I call you a, a, an Uber or a Lyft to get, get you a ride home? And the guy that was in the room with her said, what are you doing? And, he, and the guy said, he said to him, I'm not talking to you. He turned his attention back to the young lady and said, can I get you home safe? She said, nodded yes. And so he showed me his phone. And sure enough, he showed me the, the, the Uber. It had the route, what yeah. time she was picked up, what time she was dropped off, the route. Wow. And I was like, wow. And so I sent an officer to the house. And the reason why she didn't answer her phone was she opened the door, got in, plopped out on the couch, and passed out on the couch. So yeah. she was home safe, but she had just passed out. That's why she didn't answer. And I, I thought to myself, this guy gets it. Yeah. You know, this guy gets it. He did not allow that, that, that um, again, again, the beautiful. That guy in the room with her represented the man of the culture. And the man who went in and, uh, and got her a ride home safe, he represents everything that I'm trying to accomplish in this book for right. men. <laughs> right? To, right? To see women not as objects. But as creatures made in God's image and likeness that perfectly, uh, in an earthly sense, complement our spirituality. Yeah, that's great. It kind of reminds me too of of the of Saint Augustine, the, the city of God and the city of man. You know, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. kind of the, the two paths. Uh, so let's move on now and talk. About, we just got a, a few minutes left, but I want to talk about um, there's there's a chapter on work, and I remember um, listening to the uh, before the book came out, listening to the the EWTN series. And the parts where you're talking about work, because I was I was actually listening to them on my little MP3 player while I was at work, and so it was it was interesting having the those points hammered home while while I was in the midst of earning money for my family and everything. So, so uh, talk a little bit about work and and the importance of work for men, and how the role that work can play in male spirituality, and the role that male spirituality can play in the work that we do. Well, uh, the Second Vatican Council taught in uh, Gaudium et Spes, uh, work is for man, not man for work. Right? <laughs> and so this idea of work goes back to the garden. Now, it, before the fall, um, man, it wasn't like man wasn't given any work to do. He did have work to do. Remember, he was supposed to till and to yeah. keep the garden. He was given work to do. Yeah. The, the problem is, is after the fall, that work now becomes uh, uh, it becomes difficult. Now there's briars and there's thistles and there's, you know, now the work that he has to do is strenuous. It causes his uh, body to muscles to ache. It causes sweat to flow. You know, it becomes something now that that uh, uh, is not in a sense of participation in God's life. But but what Jesus Christ reminds us of is that the work that we do on Earth, no matter what work we're assigned to, um, is a participation in the work of Christ's salvation for us on the cross. You know, what, what this Paul says, I make up in my body what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Whoa, wait a minute. What's lacking in the suffering of Christ? Right. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing's lacking in the suffering of Christ. The only thing that's lacking is what? My participation in it. Yeah. And so our work is designed to, to honor God. So for us as men, you know, again, serve, protect, defend. That's the main work that we have to do. Again, whether no matter whether you're an electrician, whether you're an author, uh, whether you're a fireman, whether you're a priest, doesn't matter. Uh, mm-hmm. We're all given work to do in this world, but the work has to be, I think, focused through the lens of participating in God's salvific activity. Um, and, and so, part of it is being able to discern 
What is your purpose for being here? You know, the, the great American writer Mark Twain once said, the two greatest days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And so what we need Good. to do is be able to discern the why. Why are we here? And it's yeah. not the, what the, earth, the, the earthly uh, goals say. It was to make money, to become popular, to become wealthy, to become rich. Jesus uh, definitely counteracts that in the scriptures. You know, he talks about the talents, for example, the parable of the talents. You know, a, a talent was not a coin. It was a unit of measurement. You know, a talent was about 3,000 shekels, also called uh, in, in Aramaic called the kikarim. And it was worth about somewhere around twenty-six to $36,000 to $34,000 because talents were measured in, in silver. And so, um, so God gave the, the three of them talents, and two of them developed their talents and was able to produce a bounty for the, for, for the Lord. But yeah. the one guy buried his. And that's, that's happening too often today. We, we men are burying our talents under the ground. We're just doing the bare minimum just to get by. So we see a lot of families, they go to church, and they're there just punching the clock. You know, there, there's no spiritual formation with those children at home. You know, we'll bring them to soccer, we'll bring them to baseball, we'll bring them to all the sports, all the extracurricular activities. We'll, but we'll drop them off at youth group or sacramental prep and then go off and do something else, then come back, pick them up. And when do you ever have a discussion? What did you learn tonight? You know, let's talk about this at home. Let's talk about how we yeah. connect what you learn with our everyday lived experience. That's the work that we have to engage in, the work of helping not just ourselves, but those that we love, those that are under our care and protection to get to heaven. That's the yeah. work of the priest and the bishop. And that's the work of every single one of us uh, identified as men, that spiritual fatherhood and work is a very important component of that. That's right. Yep. And we've got we've got some great examples from from in the Holy Family. You know that we have got Saint Joseph the worker, and even and even um, just observing the work the work that Christ did and the work that the apostles did. You know they didn't they weren't just sitting around waiting for the Messiah. They were living their lives, working, trying trying to get to heaven, trying to get their families to heaven, and that's what it's all about, right? Exactly. <laughs> so no matter what you're doing, even if it's just mundane. You know, is, there's yeah. a purpose. God has you doing this particular job right now because there's an end and there's a, what's called a teleology. There's an end and there's a purpose and there's a meaning for why we're doing things at this point. For example, when I was in a monastery, I, when I left, I was like, and now I'm married. I'm like, wait a minute, why put me in a monastery? Because God was saying, I need you here now. I need you to have this experience of monastic life uh, because you don't know this right now, but like 30 years later, I'm going to have you out there preaching and writing and stuff all over the world, but you need this grounding and this foundation first, you know? And so every stage of our work life is a way that God is developing our talents uh, so we can unite those talents you know, with the gifts that he's given us and use them, again, for his glory. Psalm 115, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name, give the glory. So every aspect of our work life should uh, should uh, complement the gifts that we're given from God and help us on that journey toward eternal life. Amen. Well said. All right. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add, or any other uh, any other? No, just go to the Ignatius Press website and and uh, get the book. It's right here. That's Behold right. the man. Um, you know, I, I to this day the book came out in 2015. We actually released it. Uh, when I spoke at the World Meeting of Families that was held in mm -hmm. Philadelphia that that year, so we decided oh, yeah. to release the book at the World Meeting of Families, and there was a long line of people. I think we sold out of all the books, and um, 
you know, and I still, this is five years ago, and I still get um, emails and compliments from men who have picked up the book, who have read the book. In fact, here's something interesting. I'll end with this. <laughs> I was at, was it Southwestern Missouri State University speaking at a Newman Center there? Yeah. And I, I wasn't giving a talk about men. But then afterward, a young lady, a college student, came up with, with my book. And um, she asked me to sign it. And I thought, oh, she's getting it for her brother or, so, or for her father, for her boyfriend or something. And I said, oh, you, you got a copy of the book. She goes, yeah, my father sent it to me for me to read so that I can see what my future husband looks like. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I never I like even it. thought of using the book that way, you know, for yes. women. So that they can see what their future spouses might look like. I'm like, whoa, that's pretty awesome, yeah. you know. So, uh, so I have some um, wonderful experiences with the book, and, and in fact, you know, I know for a fact the book is being used at men's groups everywhere from Johannesburg, South Africa, to Guyana, Georgetown, Guyana, in South yeah. America, to Singapore, and uh, in Australia, and many other places as well. So I'm grateful to God for Ignatius Press and for. Um, for them uh, saying yes to uh, to this uh, to this great project, and yeah. I hope that uh, you know that the the men will be inspired uh, to really not be afraid to be the men who God created and calls them to be. Amen. And we're grateful to you for writing the book and for joining us today, uh, Deacon Harold. Thanks for joining us as Dynamic Deacon. Check out the website; he's got a, a lot of great content on there, and um, he's he's available for speaking engagements and all, all sorts of things. So, so check out the website, check out the book at Ignatius.com. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. God bless. God bless everybody. This podcast has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. We encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local Catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold. You can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at Ignatius.com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast on the website or app from which you listen to it. And please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley, and on behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, thanks for listening.